As the Federal Reserve-induced economic downturn takes shape, working people are especially feeling the pain when it comes to housing. The situation is rapidly deteriorating for both renters and prospective homebuyers, with evictions on the rise, prices rising, and interest rates spiraling out of control. We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. We are very excited to have Professor Richard Wolf join us for a regular weekly segment where we discuss the biggest stories relating to the economy, the state of the working class, and the crimes of big business. I'm Walter Smolarik, filling in for Brian Becker. The Socialist Program brings you content three days a week thanks to the support of our patrons at patreon.com slash the socialist program. We appreciate all of your support and encourage you to become a patron today if you enjoy listening to the show. Richard Wolff is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work and the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System, When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. You can check out all of his work at rdwolf.com. So, Professor Wolf, I mean, we've been discussing a lot on this show, the economic recession, downturn, crisis, whatever you want to call it, that is shaping up in the United States. Let's focus on one particular aspect of it today, and that's housing. You know, this has been covered in the media a lot lately. Rates of eviction are rising in some cities dramatically, really, really dramatically. It's becoming more and more unaffordable to buy a home. More and more people are being priced out of the market or put under extreme financial strain just because they want to have a decent place to live. What's going on in the U.S. housing market right now? Well, basically, and it's very important with housing to treat it not like every other commodity. Housing, or the general word shelter, is one of the basics of life. Having a a roof over your head, being able to assemble your family, whatever its form, together in one place where you live, is along with food, clothing, medical care, transportation, and education. These are universally understood to be basic dimensions of life, of a decent community living a decent lifestyle. And it is absolutely a sign of failure in a system when it can't do that. And in the case of housing, when it is unable to provide proper housing, adequate housing for its people. Now, in a private capitalist economy where you make the market the central institution to distribute things like homes, whether they be owned or rented, the question reduces to this. Either the price of accessing a home is affordable, or income has to be raised to make it affordable. Your housing system is successful 
if all the people can earn enough to purchase the housing that's available at an affordable price. And we've done the work in economics. We know that it's appropriate to spend no more than 25 to 30 percent of your income on your home because otherwise you're not going to leave enough for those other basic dimensions of a decent life. And we now have a situation where a huge proportion of our population either has no home at all or is spending way more than 25 to 30 percent of their income for their home. And that means a failed housing system. Two weeks ago in the city of New York, a special commission chaired by the public advocate, that's an elected office, determined that their estimates were that 80,000 New Yorkers are currently homeless, either living in public shelters or living on the street. Housing advocates suggest that that number is at least 50% an underestimate and that the real number is closer to around 120,000. Well, I'm no expert. I can't resolve that dispute. But if you split the difference, we're talking 100,000 people in one city alone. Now multiply that by other cities in our country, large, medium, and small, and you are talking vast numbers of people who suffer the ultimate indignity of having no real home. And let me make clear, shelters are not a home. Shelters were always intended, as the report in New York City makes clear, as a temporary arrangement on the way to getting people into a proper home. Here's the statistic from that report two weeks ago. The average length of time that a homeless family, and many of the homeless are families, the average time that a family, a homeless family spent in a shelter last two years was 500 days. That's not temporary. That's as permanent as you often get under the best of circumstances. So the short answer to your question is we have a housing crisis. We have had it for many, many years. There is no excuse for not having solved it. The fact that we now have an extreme version of the crisis because prices of both homes to buy and rentals to arrange, both of those have been rising even faster than the general level of inflation, especially the last couple of years. The situation has spun out of control. That's why there are all these commissions like the one in New York that wrote the report. So the problem is not only bad and of long standing, it's getting worse. And there is no adequate response. And my last point to get the conversation going one of the reasons there is no adequate response is that we're leaving it to the capitalist market. And here's what that means. It has to be privately profitable for people to build housing or to convert buildings that are used for other purposes 
into apartment homes, and they're not seeing the kind of profit that makes them build the homes we need. In other words, there's a contradiction between what's profitable for the businesses that are involved in housing and the housing that our people need. That means there's a contradiction between a profit-driven economic system, capitalism on the one hand, and the basic need of people for housing on the other. What should have been done is kind of obvious. If the private sector cannot do the job that any economic system is judged by, can you provide decent food, clothing, shelter, education, transportation, and medical care to the people you're supposed to serve, well, then you are failing. And the first question that should be asked is, what do we need to do to repair this broken capitalist system? And what might have been done, what, by the way, other countries have done, in comparable circumstances, is okay if the private sector, driven by profit, can't or won't do it, then the government will do it. The government will build mass housing, good quality housing, decent housing that is properly maintained so it doesn't become an eyesore, so it doesn't become the last place anybody would want to live in, the kind of neglect that drives public housing out of existence as it did, because after World War II, let's remember, we did build public housing in this country because we didn't want the soldiers returning from World War II to be honored for their service by being homeless on the street. So there was a kind of embarrassment effect, you could say, to build public housing, which was then neglected until it disappeared shortly afterwards. Very tragic. But with our homeless people, it would have made sense for the government for the last two, three decades to be building affordable housing. And you know something? If you built a bit more than you actually need at point A, that would then prepare you for the kind of failure of your private system that we're now experiencing not to be a crisis, because you would have a building up a stock, like an inventory, of quality housing, so that if the private sector can't do it, the public sector will clean up the failure of private capitalism. We refuse as a nation to think like that, to even open up the debate. We dismiss it with a wave of the hand, as if public housing couldn't or wouldn't solve the problem. And I could take an, an hour of our time now and describe to you places like Vienna, Austria, and many parts of Europe where public housing has existed for many, many decades and is fiercely held on to by the people who live there because it has solved their housing problem and they don't have the homelessness that we here in America with our exceptional economic system refer to. Yeah, very important points. I mean, all symptoms of a system where housing is a commodity to be bought and sold for profit. You know, up until quite recently, there were protections in place on a temporary basis in the United States against eviction. These were implemented 
as the pandemic unfolded at the beginning of the pandemic, when there was, you know, massive, massive unemployment, unprecedented unemployment of the likes we hadn't seen since the Great Depression, the federal government, and then also some states and local authorities imposed eviction freezes. But those protections, with maybe just very few exceptions, have now expired. And we're seeing an eviction spike all across the country. I'm looking at a a piece in Yahoo News now. It's reporting that in Minneapolis-St. Paul, evictions are up 91%. They're up 56% in Las Vegas, 32% in Hartford, Connecticut, 17% in Jacksonville, Florida. I mean, this is a real crisis that's unfolding now. I mean, why would the government allow this freeze to lapse? I mean, shouldn't they have made that freeze on evictions permanent or semi-permanent? I mean, take a stand and say that people have the right to stay in their homes? Well, you know, if you refuse to look at the systemic problems you have, if you deal with each problem individually as it arises, you are in the process of self-delusion because these problems are all interconnected. The ideological blindness in the United States that refuses to question the underlying private profit-driven capitalist system is now like those proverbial chickens coming home to roost. Let me explain. The moratorium on evictions was a crisis measure. We had millions of people unable to go to work, therefore unable to get paid, confronted with a rent payment they obviously then could not make. And if you wanted to have the 20 million people unemployed become a much larger number, because remember, for every unemployed person who can't pay rent, there's a family living in the apartment that rent will not be paid. You had a crisis and you responded with a crisis resolution. But because it's a system, you cannot pretend that breaking into the system at one point will not have consequences at another. And so let me briefly explain. If people living in an apartment don't pay their rent because they haven't got the money because of a COVID, which the government didn't prepare for, and which the American government, unlike most others in the world, very poorly and slowly responded to, which is why we have over a million deaths of our fellow citizens in this country. But in order to cope, those people now don't pay rent. We have a problem. Why? The landlord has ongoing expenses to maintain the property, to pay the insurance, to pay the taxes, all the rest of it. And what's the landlord going to do with the expenses the landlord has to cover if the renter isn't paying what the landlord has been charging for rent? Now, that might be a problem. Well, we'll just punish the landlord. Well, that doesn't work either. Why? Because most landlords borrow money to operate their buildings. They pay off the building over a long period of time with a mortgage. They borrow money from banks to carry out improvements, to extend or expand the property. In other words, there are, here we go now, 
billions with a B lent to the landlords on which the banks depend for their profits. So if you have an eviction moratorium and the people who can't be evicted don't pay their rent, and that, after all, is the point, and the landlords don't get their payments, they won't, in turn, be able to pay off the banks. You see, it's a systematic problem, and you've got to break in everywhere. It's like the famous child trying to plug the holes in the dam that's bursting. You put your finger in one, you put your finger in the other, but the holes are multiplying as you plug them because you've got a systematic problem. You don't have just this hole or that hole in the dam. You don't just have the evictions. You have lots of other things going on. And that's why you needed a holistic, a systemic response For example, as you suggest by your question, one of the things you could do is say that housing is not going to be handled as a private profit commodity, because that's the basic reason we haven't built the housing. We know how to build the housing. We know the technology. We have the companies with the skilled personnel to go ahead and build all these things. There is no excuse for what's going on except that the private sector, the profit builders, they don't want the government as a competitor. They don't want the government to begin producing mass affordable housing, because then we're going to be distinguishing, aren't we, between the public housing that's affordable and the private housing that isn't. You know, our economy is very full of examples of how this works. We have very elegant universities that are private and clearly less elegant universities, by and large, that are public. Nobody is very fooled by all of this. We have a first class and a second class system. But when it comes to housing, it literally puts millions on the street or millions into a limbo of anxiety. Will we be thrown out of our home? When will we be thrown out? What will we do with our sick grandmother who can barely move and lives in this apartment? And on and on and on. The suffering is unnecessary. The capability to produce adequate housing is well known. And again, let me remind you, there are wonderful examples all over the world of how public housing has been managed. It is beautiful. It is well-maintained. People compete to get into these homes. It's not the dilapidated mess that so many of our public housing projects were allowed to deteriorate into uh, after they were built immediately after World War II. So all the ingredients are there except the willingness to face that it's a systemic problem that we haven't solved, and it's because we will not address the flaws of capitalism as a private profit-driven system and the systemic alternatives that might have an industry like housing focus first on people's meeting people's needs and only secondarily or tertiarily on profit, which, of course, 
a government doesn't have to make in the way that a private sector does, and that money you don't pay out in profits could be well spent making the public housing sector the envy of everybody. Let's turn now to home buyers, people who are in the market looking to buy a house. You know, clearly people who are in this situation aren't in as dire financial straits as those who are facing evictions. But I mean, there are many working class people who aspire to buy a house, who aspire to buy a home. I mean, this is what's sort of sold to you your whole life is like the American dream, right? I mean, this is supposed to be one of the things that makes American capitalism so wonderful. Like here, workers can buy a house. But that is, I mean, it was always kind of a fantasy, but really, especially now, it's clear that that's extremely difficult. So in the In the second quarter of this year, so that's between April and June, housing prices are up 14.2% compared with a year ago, 14.2% increase in prices. And interest rates too, because, you know, of course, people have to take out huge loans in order to buy homes, are causing huge hardship. Talk about the challenges faced by workers who want to buy a house, and especially this issue of interest rates and how that's connected with the broader economic crisis that's unfolding. I'd be glad to. I'm glad you asked because it really is another way to make people understand the systemic problems that we face where we have to change a system. We cannot change this or that detail. It just doesn't work. Okay. So, Over the period of the pandemic, private construction of housing came to a grinding halt. It shrank dramatically if it didn't stop altogether. And that meant that the supply of housing wasn't going up the way it had been doing before the pandemic hit. That's number one. And by the way, why? partly because people were frozen by the pandemic and were not going out looking to buy houses. So the builder worried that they'd be stuck. Here goes the profit system again. They'd be stuck with houses they can't sell for a profit, so they weren't going to build them. Plus, they had the problem that their workers got sick with COVID and would have to lose a certain number of weeks of working, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's your first step. But here comes the second step. We had an economic crash in 2020, not just the pandemic. Calling it the COVID crash is a convenient way to suggest that somehow we're going to blame the disease for our problem. We have a crash every four to seven years. We had one in 2008. There was no COVID. We had one in the spring of 2000. There was no COVID. COVID doesn't cause crashes. Capitalism does. And we had a terrible misfortune in 2020 to have a public health disaster, the worst in our history, at the same time that we had a terrible economic crash. And each of those made the other one worse. And the result of that was to plunge the economy into a terrible problem. Now, here we go. Here comes the system story. The government of the United States, terrified by this problem, Mr. Trump as president, watching his ability to stay as president disappear in front of his eyes, partly his own fault because of the horrific way he handled or rather mishandled the COVID crisis, 
but he was desperate. So the interest rates in this country were brought way, way down. Unprecedented. Not only to zero, but even to be negative, as they were in other parts of the world. That's a systemic problem. Capitalism crashed, and the systemic response, of course, never questioned capitalism, never questioned that it keeps hitting us with these crises. No, no, no. Just what do we have to do quick to get out of this particular one? So we dropped interest rates very, very low. Okay, this led to an explosion in the quantity of money because the government basically, by bringing interest rates down, told every corporation in the country, told every government, state and local in the country, you have any kind of problem, we will lend you money and it'll cost you nothing. Interest rates, as everybody knows, were literally at zero or very, very close to it. So basically, the government said to the corporate sector and to other levels of government, the federal government, the Federal Reserve in particular, basically said, we'll give you all the money you want to borrow at virtually free interest rates so low, you really will have no choice but to solve every problem you face, whatever its cause, by throwing cheap money at it, because we'll provide you with that cheap money. Okay. That is a very weird way to solve the problem of a system that recurringly crashes. But that's the way we do it in America. Okay, next step. See again the system at work. If you flood an economy suddenly with trillions, with a T, of new money, you run a risk. Sooner or later, and it may take a while, that money is going to start looking to buy secure assets like homes, like land, like hard assets, they're called. And when that happens, all that money charging after a limited amount of hard assets will drive up the price, i.e., we have an inflation, another problem of a system linked together that people didn't quite foresee. That's why they did what they did by pumping up the money. Now we have the inflation when the money starts looking for goods and services. Now the government's freaked out by this latest problem as it lurches from one to the other, and they've got a solution. They're raising interest rates. But here comes the system again. If you raise interest rates, you make it harder and harder for people to afford to borrow money for any purpose. So we have the inflation that drives up the price of homes, houses, if you want to build them or live in them, and a response to inflation of raising interest rates that makes it more costly to borrow to buy the higher priced home. And of course, the working class is hit by this one-two punch. The price of the house is too high, and the cost of the borrowing, the mortgage, to pay for the high price is too high, and so an entire generation of working-class people are priced out of the housing market, forced, therefore, to compete for limited amounts of rental space so that the rents in this country are going crazy, too. The conclusion here, and the only one, that is logical, is that the system is broken. 
We are lurching from one crisis to another. We have the usual Republicans telling us not to worry, that everything is fake news, and we don't have to worry. Meanwhile, the hard reality is we are wiped out at the supermarket by the inflation. We are destroying the lives of millions of people who cannot afford a home of any kind unless they pay an inordinate percentage of their income. This should be understood, my Lord, for the systemic crisis it is. But we don't have that. Our Republicans and Democrats, one of the few things these days they can agree on is that capitalism is wonderful. It always was. It is now. And each one of these cascading crises is something special, has its own particular causes, can be solved by this or that adjustment, and we should just never, ever question the system. This won't work anymore, but it's very hard for our leaders to wrap their heads around it. Well, we're out of time. We're going to have to leave it right there. We've been joined by Professor Richard Wolf. He's the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work and the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System, When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. Check out all of his work at rdwolf.com. You've been listening to The Socialist Program. We bring you content three days a week thanks to the support of our patrons at patreon.com slash thesocialistprogram. We appreciate all of your support and encourage you to become a patron today if you enjoy listening to the show. You've been listening to The Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And watch video episodes of our in-depth show, The Real Story, every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on YouTube with our partner, Breakthrough News. We can only continue our work bringing you high-quality news, analysis, and history with the support of our listeners. Connect with us and become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program and receive an invitation to participate in an exclusive monthly seminar with Brian Becker. Thank you.